Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talkart. Welcome to Talkart. Hey, Robert, how are you today? Today, Russell, I am feeling jolly, which is a word that I associate with today's guest. Me too. And I have always had a strange connection to him because he is the master of a good knit. Um, He loves like jumpers and cardigans occasionally that are like hand knitted, which I have then bought often because he's worn them. Mm-hmm. And he's a bit of a kind of icon to me. Because I think sometimes I've said to jumper, you, I've said to you sometimes, wasn't, Charles, wasn't he wearing that? I won't say the name yet. Wasn't, wasn't our guest wearing that? And you're like, <laughs> yes, well, you know, I actually had it on order first, um, but he managed to get access to it first, but I actually had it on order first. There was one time about four years ago, maybe longer actually, probably eight years ago now, when I went to Prada and they were doing this kind of collection with like um, sunsets and things like knitted into the jumpers. And we went into the changing room to try this jumper on and I, they wouldn't give me that collection because it had just come out or something. And he was in there getting changed and I was so jealous. And I was like, how come he gets it? And they were like, he's a fashion journalist. He's a writer. He's someone really important. And I was just like this lowly sort of gallery assistant or something. So was not worthy of the Prada. But um, anyway, oh ever since God. then, I have followed his knitwear. And I'm a big fan. Hated, hated him. But today, we are talking to him, not as a knitwear lover, but as a, a, a published author of a wonderful new book called What Artists Wear, which is coming out on Penguin. And it has the classic kind of Penguin logo on the sleeve. And I, I'm, I'm in love with this book. And we've actually finally been sent, we were sent an early copy, but we've been sent the finished uh, actual copy that's going into the shops. And it is truly extraordinary. So everybody get out and buy this book as soon as you hear this show. Um, and I think also it made me, I don't know, it's just really exciting to see books about art you know, coming out right now, you know, ours is obviously out, but um, Jennifer Higgy's had her amazing book come out. And it's just, I don't know, it feels like a good time for publishing. So good times. Good times. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art, Charlie, Charlie Porter. Porter. Hello, hello. Hello, Russell. Hello, Rob. The funniest thing is, Charlie, you actually said you were feeling jolly and I'd already told you <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I feel like I should, we, I should, obviously we're doing this remotely, I feel like I should go upstairs to where my clothes are and change jumper every, <laughs> every, every few minutes. I feel terrible about that Prada thing. I, I think, was it, I think we were doing 
pre-orders or something something like some that sort yeah. of pre-order thing so i don't think i actually got it that day i think i was <laughs> Trying it on, I hope, I'm, I'm so sorry. It was like the Holy oh, Grail, saying. though. It was all very hush-hush and, like, I don't think we were meant to see Some you trying secret, it on. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, secret thingy. It's very Devil Wears um, Prada moment. I love yeah, it. Yeah, this is, this is knit, but it's a different sort of knit. It's like I'm, I'm wearing a, a Wales Bonner. It's like a kind of very crisp knit. Do you sp spend most of the time talking about what people are wearing on the programme, I think it's, it's like, apt. Talk, it's art, apt. talk art rather than... But it's apt to talk to you person <laughs> when you've talk, written a book What called, the person is wearing. When you've written a book called What Art Artists Wear, it feels very apt to be talking about what you're wearing right now. It is cold enough to be wearing a big, thick sweater, so, yeah. And also... I actually, <laughs> I've actually got a blanket here ready if I get chilly, so, yeah, I'm like... If, um, yeah. Cashmere. That's or, actually another thing I learned about no. from you is blankets, because you um, posted from Milan... Uh, Marnie's show when Francesco Rizzo joined and you you were like blankets and blankets. they had like blankets on the catwalk blankets it's actually no it's a it's a it's a cray green um, can you see it's a cray green kind of quilted mm. um, it was a collection that was about um, uh, kids who were I think at kind of a boarding school or something and they kind of dragged blankets behind them on the catwalk so and good. um yeah, that's one of them. So Love that. Sounds very jolly. It's actually taking me yeah. back to your. Um, it's taking me back to your your show that you curated at the VNA, or they had like a presentation of some some of your clothes, or right. Yeah, the there's a yeah. I've I, I've I've donated. Um, I've been donating clothes to the VNA for a few years now, and um, there is a some of them are on display there in a cabinet. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's very weird to suddenly see a cabinet of things I've worn. But what I, I love about that, you, yeah. you, you've said that you've donated 82, out, uh, 82 items to the V&A. And yeah. they, they, you said that once a garment enters the collection, it cannot be cleaned. Cannot be cleaned. And I did not know that. No one told me that. <laughs> and so the state of some of the things, I just presumed they'd go for it. It's like getting a cheap dry cleaner or something. I just presumed that they'd be like, looked after in a way that I never could but um yeah there was they had an exhibition of underwear um at the VNA a few years ago and it was the first time anything I donated had been put on display and it was a, a tracksuit by Sibling who were a, a London brand yes. um from from um Sid and Joe and Cazette loved and, that and, and I'm a big fan of Cazette she's she's an icon to me yeah she's amazing and 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 it was a it was a knit that depicted the Hackney riots of 2013 and a Twelve de Juillet one of those words that I write down but don't know how to pronounce Twelve de Juillet kind of pattern what's, um, what's that pattern like what does that look like it's a kind of I think it's it's like a it's like a white background with like a blue kind of drawn quite sort of, not chintzy's flowers isn't it I'm not quite sure but it's like kind of like a uh, Twa de Juillet. Oh, okay, right, you've got it. <laughs> you know, Twa de Juillet. Oh, it's Twa de Juillet. Yeah, 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 got do it. You, <laughs> I don't know do, you, do you like that fashion writer's <laughs> trick of just saying it often? Sounds believable. Yeah, exactly. Twa de Juillet. Twa de Juillet. And so I went to see the display and I was like, why is that mannequin's arms folded? And then I went and looked in closer and it's like, oh, God, there's a massive egg stain <laughs> right in the middle of this... Clothes and and they've had to put the mannequin with the arms like that, and they actually didn't realise when they took the photo for the postcard. I think it's a postcard you can still buy in the VNA shop, and if you zoom in really really close, you can see this egg stain on my. And that's and do you remember dropping the egg? 
on that um, I, I wish my memory was that um, <laughs> that <laughs> but, <detail>. no. <laughs> but do you feel really proud about that is that not like incredible for you and what, egg stains egg stains on all your clothes but, stains but also like knowing about Zwadaji no, and also having work in the vna it's magic it's really magic but the thing the reason for it was was that um that i because so the time i've i've spent writing about um fashion has, has coincided with um, menswear becoming something again in London and and I've always tried to avoid words like resurgence or this sort of stuff because I realized what I think it was and this is goes off into a whole thing we could talk about another for hours about but I think it was bringing back to what should have always been um before AIDS crisis like a whole kind of generation of makers and and hair people and people who buy the clothes and all this kind of culture of fashion that was kind of wiped out um right in London and also in New York. So I think it's just, so what's been happening recently in London is bringing back what should always have been there. Um, and I realized that, and I, I've, I've been buying from young designers just all the time, because it's just so exciting to see this this work. And I realized that if I didn't donate this stuff, then it could be that that piece of history was never marked or never actually, um, Never, never, never told. This was, also, this was all pre-internet as well. And actually, the thing we know about internet is that we think everything's on the internet, but of course, it's not. And so, yeah, it was really important for me to 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 give the give the clothes to the VNA. I also think it's really important. Something that you've done just quickly before we talk about the book that you've done so well is to champion unknown you know, designers literally straight from their college or degree shows and really sort of stick with them. Because I feel like Craig Green, I first heard about through you, you know, really mm. early on. Yeah. I remember that yeah. blue kind of, well, it wasn't denim, it was kind of like a light blue jacket you had, really from his first collection or whatever. And I remember, yeah. I remember then I went and got one and kind of followed him too. And all the way through to him being in DSM and then, you know, getting bigger and bigger over What's the What's DSM? Uh, Dover Street Market. Dover Street Market. But also people like Molly Goddard. You both you know, came in quick then, like it was a game. <laughs> <laughs> like a quiz show. Dover Street Market. Yeah. yeah. Fashion quiz show. Um, no, but also people like Molly Goddard. Like you, you've, and like you mentioned, Wales Bonner. Like you've really been there. A bit like Russell and I have always been so obsessed with emerging artists, which I know you right. are too. But I feel like people sometimes don't link the two. Because like, to me, it's all these creative thinkers rising at the same time. Yeah, and it's the, it's the most interesting thing to me. And I also think as well... Um, it's to do with the kind of difference between fashion and fashion industry. And I think often when people talk about fashion, they just talk about luxury fashion, which is fine and interesting, but it's not everything. And and I think it's the same with art and art industry. And, and there's a presumption that everything about art is like auction houses or the, the big, big, big galleries. And actually there's so much else that um, is, is just as interesting and maybe way more interesting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's get a, a brief synopsis of your life. Charlie Porter is born in Peterborough in 1973. Daventry, actually. Where's that? Daventry, is that near Peterborough? It's, well, I mean, it's kind of, it's, no. I mean, it's like level pegging. It's like Daventry is like right, right, right in the heart of the country. Like you pretty much, you can't go Why does, Wik why does Wikipedia say Peterborough? No idea. I lived near Peterborough. I used to work in our price at Peterborough. Did you? Our I price. did, yeah. Oh, I our loved price. our price. Our price was like... God to me, it was like my church. Our price, like, our, price, oh. our price had the best red um, counter that it was did. really high, so you felt really important on this oh big red counter. God, I love it. But that. The, our, the our price in Peterborough is incredible because it was um, there was a buyer there who was I, I, I worked every Christmas for four or five years, and 
it was deep, right in the heart of a period I loved of like 91, 92. So all, everything coming out of Seattle on sub pop and all that sort of stuff. And there was a buyer there that was buying the most radical seven inches and this proper incredible music. And there was also all these people that wanted just Shaking Stevens and Cliff Richards. And it was this like a weird juxtaposition of like this hardcore, like a green vinyl seven inch that there was only like 10 copies made of somewhere. And then Shaky's Christmas album. And, oh, and, genius. I, I, was, I was very happy. There. I miss so record what, shops. What was that? What was, what was your experiences with art and fashion growing up in Daventry? I, so I didn't grow up in Daventry. That's where I was born. I, oh. um, we lived in the Midlands forever. There's, there's many places. But I, so I, born in Daventry, but, but now born Bryce in, in Peterborough, <laughs> and then the rest of the time All, somewhere <laughs> else. Okay. But, uh, but my, 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 parents, my parents are both artists, and they, they met at the Slade in the 60s, and... Um, they yeah, they're, they're, they're still they're still practicing now what do they do uh, what's their art so my mum um, works in oil and my dad works in um, watercolor and yeah they they are they they ha- they have like a converted garage in in their garden and mum has one half and dad has the other half and That's um so cool yeah and mum is m- very focused on like working straight at that moment with whatever's there and dad is more at the moment working from his mind. From memory um, or is it more abstract? Uh, more abstract at the moment. It, it's weird, they've, they've kind of had the real uh, kind of creative resurgence in their, they're in their, both in their 70s and, and their work has gone really wild. And it's really exciting to see it go really wild. You live and, with their um, work as well, right? I've seen you post it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's, a, there's a painting by my mum behind me. That's actually from a few years ago. Um, so it's kind of left. She's gone wilder and wilder. But um, yeah, these photos. She she mum also obsessively takes photos. Oh wow! Like at, at night on her iPhone, and she goes around doing kind of real close ups of, of 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 books or corners of things or bits of paper, like super close up. Um, but they, but but they, they both work every day. Like they can't not work. They feel weird if they haven't worked. So, uh, so with growing up with them, it was a, a just a constant practice. It was just something that was completely always part of our lives. So you know? did 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 you did you ever think you would be an artist yourself, or no, did never, you sort of never. go to fashion as a place to express yourself in your own? <laughs> <laughs> no, never. And I've got three sisters, and none of us none of us have um, been artists. But there was never that question, or never any that you know. It was if we wanted to, I'm sure we could have done. Um, no, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. It was always mm. clear to me. I, I, I knew that um, from reading smash hits. And, and the face, it was, you know, I used to read every single word of Smash Hits down to the editorial list, which they always hid jokes in. It was like, oh my God, defining the joke would be like the kind of this kind of fortnightly pleasure. And um, no, I always knew I wanted to write. And then, but fashion, I was just obsessed with. And, and we, so we came down to London a lot um, because they met in London and they loved it. And, they, you know, they moved to the countryside, but they always wanted to, to visit and, so I just start going to Camden Market or to Kensington Market, right. um, or to Boy, you know, and, and Boy London, yeah, Boy London, yeah, and, and just buying things. And and there was a there was a stall in in Kensington Market called Sign of the Times, um, which was the most incredible um, stall. Kensington Market was actually a precursor to Dover Street Market. I think they were yeah, totally by, by by Kensington Market. It was an indoor market. It's all these kind of indoor stalls and. Um, 
Sign of the Times was a store that sold kind of clubware and like young fashion. Mm. But it was also it also sold mixtapes and it had all the flyers for that weekend's clubs because obviously there was no social media and um, the place you went to find out what clubs were on was, was Sign of the Times. And I'd go and like nickel, not nickel, they were free, but I'd go and just pick them all, all of them and decorate my bedroom with these flyers. And, and I did that. A, you did you? Yes, yeah, I did that. Yeah. I didn't and, know half of what they were. I just liked the images and the, the, the ephemera. The, the exactly. There was something going on outside. I was, probably was about 13, 14 on my bedroom yeah. in Essex. Never, right. Not old enough to go, but just having them as like something to another world. Totally. Knowing that something was going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was totally it. And that was it with fashion with me, knowing something was going on and that there were people who were thinking like how I was thinking. Yeah. And um, they had a £5 bargain bin in some of the time, so I'd always go and rummage and get a... A T-shirt, obviously, which I kind of knew what what it was, what was going on, but pretended I didn't. With egg on like, it, egg all over it. And no, no, no. The, the, I, I got a five pound uh, bootleg T-shirt of the Superdrug logo, which I just wore around, obviously pretending not knowing I knew what it meant. For, but like, yeah, or, or like there was this uh, T-shirt I had um, by this label called Big Jesus Trash Can that had this um, picture of uh, Jesus on it, surrounded by angels with gas masks. Um, I absolutely adored. Um, so yeah, it was. It Sounds was, quite it, Banksy-esque, doesn't it? In some yeah, way, yeah, now. yeah. Um, so it, it was. Yeah, it was always exactly that thing about knowing that there were people who thought the same way that I did. Mm. So you went to study fashion journalism, but you no. couldn't. Oh, yeah, I couldn't afford it. Couldn't exactly, afford yeah. to get into Central Saint yeah, Martin. Yeah. So you then yeah. became a researcher for the Daily Express in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, the paper that I always you always kind of like go. I worked at the Daily Express, <laughs> 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 Express and then go into some well thing like it wasn't as bad then as it is now. And yeah, it, but it, yeah. Anyway, whatever it was, um, it was before the internet, just and so I spent a year and a half learning how to do research like proper research and 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 um yeah working my way up there and learn a lot of things and i think i was a lot better off learning that kind of hack stuff right. the nuts and bolts of of writing than if i'd gone to study on the fashion journalism ma i'm not sure there was actually that much more in the end that I would have learned no. um, there. Did, did you always find it quite easy to express the way you feel, like, on, on in the written word? Because, like, Russ and I wrote our book um, during the lockdown, and we both kind of struggled initially because we were like, what, A, why are we allowed to write sort of thing? Like, you have to sort of give yourself right. permission or something. Yeah. Like, has it always been something that came naturally? But that's the beauty of your book is that it, it, it just sounds like you talking. And, yeah. and, and that's that's what and that's what's what writing should be. I think the the... the, the, the the kind of it, when someone thinks you need to write like something else, that's when it all goes wrong. Right. Um, Smash Hits really was the most phenomenal magazine uh, in the mid nineties, and um, like so many important people wrote for Smash Hits, like Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, totally. He started out at Smash Hits. Yeah. No way. Um, he was the editor, yeah. wasn't he? No. I don't think it was the editor. I think he was just was like, see, like on the contributor. On the yeah, and 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 that. So that the the the. The sense of humour that magazine—it was so sharp. Even though they were talking about wham or whatever, like the the the, the language of it, the secret jokes, the in jokes, mm. the way they—and it was that thing of like using as few words as possible to to say the driest, sharpest joke. Like it, it was it was extraordinary. 
um, I was so lucky to grow up with Smash Hits. Like it really um, taught me what you could, how playful you could be with words and the placement of words and, and, and also yeah, the brevity of words. Um, so yeah, I've always um, enjoyed it. I, I really enjoy writing. I don't find it, it, it a pain at all. Yeah. Um, well, you're yeah. so you're you're a leading voice in fashion, and you've been a documenter of fashion for many years. Some of your uh, contributions have been to Esquire, GQ, Fantastic Man, ID, The Face, where you went under a pseudonym. But for a yeah. <laughs> what, what was what was your pseudonym, and why so did my, you need that? My pseudonym was Toby Reynolds, which is uh, my middle name and my mum's maiden name, and it was because I was then working at rival publication house, um, Nat Mags, working working on Esquire. And my friends worked at The Face and um, it actually was the first time I wrote. So basically after um, after The Express, I, I kind of started doing arts journalism with an S because I pres- presumed that that's what I would do and I presumed that would be the easy thing to do. And and also as a gay kid, that was kind of the kind of easiest way into papers as well. And I hated arts journalism with an S. I hated it. I really hated <laughs> writing about and I just presumed it would be the thing that would come so easily to me but I really realized that like I don't care what anyone else thinks and I think to actually be an arts journalist or an art journalist you have to have some sort of like zeal to convince people in some way of what you like or or in music journalism as well I was doing music journalism and I was like what why am I why am I trying to convince people of like this stuff event. like I love it yeah. yeah exactly and I don't I don't care it's like, I like it it's enough for you yeah it's enough for me and, and all I care about is the fact that I really like what I really like and, yeah. and 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 I hated and I hated all the I also hated in art journalism I hated the way that the artist was expected to leave the room and then the critic turn up and can I swear on talk up yeah time, big it? time Piss all over it, like you know, the 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 you know the, that that expected thing of like the artist leaves and the critic turns up, and I really hated the relationship um, in art arts um, journalism. This this is just really personal. I'm not decrying all arts journalism. Obviously, I read it read it regularly, but mm. but um, yeah, I really didn't I didn't like the space it was in. That's why it's so interesting to me that I've now come back around to write a book about artists yeah. because it's so it, I, I've had to. It's it's been so nice to find a way to write about artists which which feels different from a um, a kind of a journalistic um, yeah. relationship. Yeah, when it yeah, comes yeah. to fashion, didn't you get banned from some fashion shows for writing scathing reviews? Wasn't there a yes. group of you? So what what happened there? There was a group of you that weren't allowed to review fashion there, I mean, shows. There are different. You were so many. No, no, there are, there are different. There are many. There are different brands that I've been banned from for different <laughs> lengths of time. But the diff, the, the, the difference. The, so. The, the, I became so basically the, the 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 face piece was the first time I wrote about fashion and that's what then le- led me to get a job in as a fashion editor because I could just say hey look this is actually me this Toby Reynolds I actually, I actually wrote this and yeah that's how I moved into fashion but um yeah no that I, I was banned from Balenciaga um really early on because I tried to dis- I thought I was being really nice like they did these amazing Cagouls that had like these really kind of droopy teardrop shapes. Mm. I can't remember what word I used to describe them, but I thought I was being really complimentary, but they were absolutely livid with the description. I was, I was like, oh, okay, sorry. Um, and then, well, permanently, I, I was permanently completely banned from Dolce Gabbana because they 
just really didn't like the fact that I said what I thought and just completely, no, I'm not allowed. But it just meant that every Sunday in Milan during the menswear shows, it meant I got to go and have a nice lunch rather than sit and watch Dolce Gabbana. So, you know, I was happy. You but know, how was, can they do that? Finally... You have to be impartial as a, as a kind of brand yeah. and critic. How can they be like, we only want nice things said about us so everybody who said bad stuff can't come in? No, but that's the that's the difference. That's why I found fashion criticism interesting because the thing about fashion criticism is that it it takes place in private spaces. Like you have to be invited into a fashion show, whereas an art show, a film, an album, they're public events, right? I mean, you mm. you pay for them, but you have to pay to get a ticket. But anyone can go and see them. Mm. And and there's something fascinating to me about being asked into this private space to to write about that 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 a public more and more people can watch live stream but it's still not the same thing like a public could never experience sitting on a front row and and i found it fascinating to to go into these private spaces and to try and write as truthfully about them as possible it's, it was it was a very different experience and also the other thing about fashion show writing as well was that like i realized really quite early on that like if i was to review say the prada show with the sunrise jumpers yeah the, so the review appears uh, that was in June. The, sh- the the collection wouldn't go in the shops for like till six months in January. The sh- the shop might you know the store the, the brand really only ever makes like ten percent of what's on the catwalk. Out of that ten percent of stuff on the catwalk, there might be two things that I may have mentioned, and maybe one person somewhere in the world who may have read the review may eventually buy the piece that I wrote about six months before. So there's no direct link, whereas in art journalism, you kind of want people to go and see the art show or to see the film. Or So so I really realised that what I was doing was writing about something very different than than criticism in a kind of straightforward way, yeah. if that makes any it's sense. It's all these like steps removed, isn't it? I, I, yeah, exactly, and and also it's it's writing it's writing about sociological stuff or you know political stuff or all sorts of stuff or also also just making some cheap jokes. I don't know. It's like it, it, I really like the space it smash hits jokes. It to, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I remember seeing you seeing you outside of the Marnie show in Milan, and just thinking how crazy the whole thing was. Like everyone was like everyone turns up in these really mental outfits because so many people are trying to like have their photo taken by yeah. the on street photographer yeah. who's like almost yeah. like a kind of paparazzi in a tree or something, and they're all there and everyone's performing, and it was one of the most unique experiences i've ever yeah. had going to that, that yeah. whole week in milan it was wild yeah yeah it was tough and, and the thing with the, also the other thing i realized with it as well is that like there's something incredible about catwalk shows which which to me like relates back to processions yes and how processions through history have been these things that people congregate to and and you know, processions play such a role in societies and and there's something processional about watching someone walk up and down in front of you because it's that thing of like, oh, well, catwalk shows last and all this sort of stuff because that, you know, there really is no clear reason why they should exist. But then if you said to most people, oh, do you want to sit front row at a fashion show? They'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's so, you know, desperate to do it. Like it has this weird pull and there is something really um, kind of addictive about, about watching them. Yeah. Yeah. So you've written this book. And yes. it's called What Artists Wear... Yeah. And I have to tell you, Charlie, I have actually devoured this in one sitting, more or oh, less. Wow. I, I've got up to page, it's 300 and something pages. I got up to page 300 and fell asleep last night. And yeah. then I've read the rest today. And I think Magic. it's fucking brilliant. I absolutely, oh, absolutely love it because it goes so detailed, but it's so 
uh, easy to read and there's so many so much stuff about artists in there that I love that I didn't know that I'm just completely obsessed with I've, I've found out so many fun facts I've found out so many references I've understood so many things before that I hadn't really understood yeah. congratulations it's just thank you fucking beautiful but what let's say so for everyone listening it's called what artists wear why did you choose what artists wear why was it not what like pop stars wear why was it not right. what politicians wear why was it what artists wear as a book um, it, that, that actually revealed itself to me as I was writing it. Like the book started because I wrote a tiny little um, piece in the FT in like 2015 when there was the Agnes Martin show at Tate Modern and at the same time the Barbara Hepworth show at Tate Britain. And there was a photo, which is actually in the book of Agnes Martin at work in a studio in 1960. And, which inspired um, it, you, that image inspired you to write the book. That right? image inspired me because, and it's on page 65, um, and, and and basically, I saw it and I thought, oh, that, she looks like she's wearing Craig Green. Yeah. Who's this, who's this young... Yeah, quilted. Quilted, yeah. quilted and it's boxy. And Craig is this young London designer who everything he does starts from a workwear jacket, like this mm. humble shape. And I was like, she looks like she's wearing Craig Green. And it completely captivated me. And it kind of threw me down one of those whole rabbit holes of like time collapsing and then being now and now being then. And it, it just really got me thinking about artist clothing and, and at the same time um, uh, Margaret Howell had done some pieces um, for the Barbara Hepworth show so mm. I just wrote this little piece and it, it triggered it triggered the book and and to answer your question the, the, the thing about what artists wear which is different from what anyone else wears is that um, so artists for I talked about for their style, right, a lot, and 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 as particularly by the fashion industry and and by people who like fashion. Um, but I I always thought there was something more than just saying, oh, I like how David Hockney dresses. I want to dress like David Hockney, or a fashion brand saying, we think we can sell more clothes if we do a collection that looks like David Hockney. Mm. There always seemed like something else was going on, and I realised as I was writing it that actually what it is is that artists uh, are really. Um, amazing way to actually study clothing in general because most of us in most jobs have at some point to dress a certain way for that job so in the kind of most basic sense it's to to wear a, a suit or something formal for work mm-hmm. and even down even in like lockdown times when everyone's at home and not wearing a suit there's still that sense of you have to wear something a bit smarter for a zoom meeting and 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 what that does is that kind of muddies the water of the language of dressing because you're having to dress in a certain way to 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 for work or to please people or you know whatever and i realized that actually artists don't have to do that because so much of their work is, is studio based and hidden away and and is about no one but themselves and 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 trying to make their work happen and and so it was a a way to actually really look at the language of clothing itself and then also realizing that since i i, I, ta- I tag it to um 2013 no 1913 um there maybe there's something else as well when sonia delorney uh, made this dress called the simultaneous dress and this time when a garment became art mm. because until that point art was a sculpture or a work on canvas and suddenly in the 20th century art explodes and Everything can become art. So, what, was she a moving canvas or something? Is that she saw here? Or? She, no, no. So, so, she, so, so basically, she made a dress 
that and the dress was art. Right. And, and 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 so basically, it's she didn't wear it then anywhere. I, th- I guess she did. I, I actually I need to do more research on <laughs> to know that. But but it, but it's 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 this fact that the clothing could then be art, and then it, as as the decades have gone on, and performance art, video art, photography, um, digital art, the the artist is at the center often of the work, and so therefore the clothing they're wearing is at the center of the work. Yeah, and the artist is considering everything about how they appear in that work, including their clothing. So therefore there's also artists themselves are using the language of clothing that we understand. It's, it's, it's this other thing as well is that like, we all understand the language of clothing, even though we might not think we do, we're all experts at it to the, to the highest, highest degree. So when you walk down the street, you understand what about someone approaching you just from their clothes so we're all experts at clothing you adjust and your body language by what someone's wearing around you i think you said exactly which I really fascinating the psychology of that about like there's a coded uh, quality to what someone's wearing that makes you go oh they look threatening or they look fine or i'm happy right. with that or they're interested there's a there's an instant like synaptic connection yeah. you go okay i know what this is i'm comfortable or i'm not comfortable right with this. And and it, and it sometimes is really blatant, like if a policeman walks down the down the street. Uniform, yeah. A uniform person, but also it's we're all actually expert, at even like subtler subtler differences, like and 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 so therefore artists are using our expertness to to make work. Like I talk, I emailed with Sarah Lucas um, for the book, and mm. Sarah talked about how she thinks that people that the clothing kind of stands in for her in some way, and and that. Uh, and also about the universality of the clothing. So when she's the tights and the bunny sculptures, or there's a really early work where she um, puts a razor blade in the front of some Doc Martens, we we understand what she means by the work because we understand what a pair of Doc Martin boots means. Yeah. Like we understand about their toughness and, you know, like... The patriarchy of it, I guess. Or, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And also and, like and, the steel and, toe and, caps and stuff like that. It's kind of like, you know... Yeah. They have a strength to them, don't they? So, so we talked about Agnes Martin. What I found fascinating, which you highlight in the book, is this image of her in a quilted kind of grid work, trouser suit, separate pieces, and then her hair is plaited. But Agnes Martin is known for the grid. That's what she's famous right. for. But suddenly she's yeah. wearing clothing that looks like a grid. That looks I like the like... grid, and her hair is a grid. Yeah, it's an absolute... And, 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 I, and I realised that just by looking at the photo, and it's like, oh, my God, it's all a grid. And, and and that was around the time when she was first starting the grid. She, yeah. the, the picture has her with a kind of rule in her hand, and, and it, it's it's when she moved um, to New York for the first. She she lived in New York for thirteen years before she realised she couldn't live in the city. It, it wasn't for her, and she'd cut her hair off and 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 disappeared for eighteen months, and no one knew where she was. And then she reemerged um, with short hair in um, New Mexico. But yeah, all this the grid of the clothing and the grid of the grid of the canvases, like it's all there, like these. These, these kind of visual clues. Yeah, and you've got on the cover, you have this amazing tailored suit that was worn by Georgia O'Keeffe. Yeah. Which, why, why did you choose that for the cover? It's amazing. Because I thought it was Joseph Boy's, the felt suit. Right, with yeah. That's what I recognised yeah. in it. Yeah. The, 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 the suit, um, I, I wish I could take credit for it. That was Penguin, the design department, who were like, who suggested it. And we, but I was really, really thrilled with their suggestion because we wanted we knew we wanted that we knew we wanted an object rather than a person so that it couldn't be connected with one artist yeah and we, we knew we wanted to be kind of 
not readable by gender. And I like how this kind of plays with gender because it, it looks, yeah, it looks like um, one of Joseph Boy's suits, but it's actually a suit, a tailor, a, a kind of tailor-made suit made for a 90, I think she was 93 when she, I have to check what oh, I think, wow. but, but it's a woman in her 90s, like so, the, a, a human that you wouldn't normally be expecting to be ordering bespoke suits from a New York tailor. Mm. And so we, we loved how completely already from the beginning the, the, the suit just kind of throws all these um, assumptions. And because uh, tailoring forms are really important. I, I start with tailoring because I kind of feel that to deal with any clothing, you have to deal with tailoring to begin with because it holds such a weird hold on the language of clothing, yeah. particularly to do with power. And in the end, so much of art is to do with addressing power or looking at power, who, who has the power, who doesn't have the power. Yeah. Um, so there's also there's so many women in this book as well that you you cover so many female artists but when you talk right. about the clothing so much of their clothing is men's clothing so many female artists have bought men's clothing and appropriated right. it themselves but it's the suit was never it was always designed for the man from the military where women were not allowed and and right. and so women have had to kind of appropriate the patriarchy to then find their own style and I right. love the fact that you have so many female artists in this, but it fascinated me that how many of them have appropriated menswear for right, themselves. Right. Yeah, and and also that that thing of like it's actually menswear, but it actually is for all human bodies. But it looks like it's menswear, and 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 and, and um, yeah, I, an artist that I absolutely adore, um, Anne Truitt. I spoke with her daughter, mm. and 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 her Alexandra, and Alexandra said that her mum couldn't wear um, the women's wear at the time to do the work. She, she, she was an artist working in the 60s, 70s, um, 80s, I think. And, and the, the women's wear at the time would have meant that she couldn't lift her arm up because the, the, everything was too constricted. She couldn't do the, the physical labour of making art. And actually what artists needed were, were clothes that they could do physical labour in, which was assumed at that time to be the, the men's role. So they, they had to wear what was considered menswear. There is something really interesting in that as well when you think about artists and clothes, is like the practicality of it. You right. know, if you think of someone like Phila de Barlow in her studio, you know, you got surrounded by giant sculptures or cement or scrim and all these materials and yeah. woodworking and all that stuff. The actual reality of having to make something, you know, yeah. and get, get your clothes covered in paint, which you, you talk about as well. And, um, you know, versus what, what you begin the book out uh, with, with the suits can yeah. you speak a bit about that kind of the informal kind of the practicalities and the freedoms that are needed in the clothes right yeah that uh, so i do it i do a, a chapter on paint on clothing uh, yes with, because i'm a total mess so like i love paint on clothing like i'm 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 i like i like dirty clothes and and yeah for lida barlow um I, I was lucky enough to be allowed to use image stills from a film by cosima spender which was um, the Philida's RA show um, mm. in 2019. Mm -hmm. it, it was playing in the um, entrance to that, and and it followed Philida on a day in a studio, and and the, the the physicality of a day, like the constant picking up a plank of wood, moving it to a pot of paint, slapping some paint on it, going over to the next, like and and there's this one amazing part where she's made this incredible sculpture. It's like a kind of spherical. Bits, some planks of wood. I don't know what it is, but it's like this, this, this amazing work. And she's just got it on a bench. And you just see her kind of smiling like a child and just kind of 
pushing it off the bench and she, and she throws the thing on the floor. And then when it gets on the floor, she then pulls it apart, this broken sculpture, she pulls it apart yeah. to see what else it can be. Mm. And, and it's this incredible kind of endless, kind of restless desire to see what something can be. And, and she does it all the time in this wax jacket that's just absolutely encrusted in, in paint and, and can almost be like a work in itself. There's also something that many people don't know about the art making process is a lot of artists do not have great heating and they're right. yeah, yeah, yeah. freezing cold. Freezing. And it's almost like battling the elements. And I right. think the realities of like sitting in an exhibition when you see a finished work on the wall, even if it's a Phila de Barlow sculpture, it still becomes this kind of rare, hallowed space, a bit like right. a catwalk show, you know, where everything yeah. suddenly, all the chaos is totally dis distilled into this, this perfect, elegant, high-end kind of moment. But the Right. reality is they often and some younger artists can't even afford to like have you know the, the heating on or whatever yeah like, it's just yeah. and I, I find that fascinating because Phil is wearing a scarf yeah kind of like tartan yeah. like Scottish scarf or something but yeah but you know I, I love that whole element of clothing and the reality yeah and isn't that fascinating it's I, something I think about a lot as well that, that, that thing experience of being in a gallery and 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 you know someone say a work of art is like four grand or something and some people are like <gasps> you know why is that why is that and it's like wait so the gallery has takes 50 percent, so that's two grand that might pay for like their studio rent and their mortgage maybe for a month maybe yeah, but then they have to well, pay tax, on like, as well, tax as well exactly yeah, so like, so like like actually like they're, they're barely making any money like they're barely getting by and yeah. and yeah the realities of making art are, are, are um yeah it's shocking yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But versus that, so you've got that kind of practical side. But then yeah. the thing that's always, the reason I love clothes is because of this idea of transformation and the way right. it's almost like armor, like you can put something right. on and become something else or, or parts of yourself can be expressed through what you choose to wear. And if you right. think of a really kind of cliche in a way now, because everyone knows it so obviously, but someone like Frida Kahlo, or if you yeah. even go back to Joseph Boyce, like this idea of how clothes can have a charged power and like kind of healing power or meaning do you know right. what i mean like yeah. this whole transformation side of it yeah, all. yeah. there's yeah. an incredible image of frida Kahlo in the book of 1926 where she's dressed in a suit and she's alongside all her uh, female relatives yeah. who are all in dresses and this yeah. is after she'd had the tram accident and everything yeah. 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 collarbone everything they'd been shattered but she's so like present and so like yeah. and you just think at the time staring really staring shocking. at the camera yeah, yeah really totally the intention shocking. yeah and it was just before she met diego and just before the that the whirlwind of her life went on a, another whirlwind and and, mm. 
And then, um, so she then wore traditional dress when she was with Diego, because that's what Diego liked her to wear. And then I have in the book this this painting that's in uh, MoMA, which is self-portrait with cropped hair, I think it's called, where oh. she's sat in a suit, which is presumed to be Diego's suit, with all of her long hair cut off around her, and it, they've just separated. And it's this real, like, absolute fuck you of, like, you know, I'm wearing your suit and I've cut the hair that you love, I've cut it off. Um, but then they soon got back together and then she returned again to the... Um, Traditional Mexican traditional dress. dress. So, so, so this so is this, there's so many amazing images you have in the book. There's an image of uh, a Louise Bourgeois who's in a uh, twelve years old wearing Chanel. Right. And she's like, yeah. and I, was, I saw that. I was like, what? She, she's yeah. twelve, and they've dressed her yeah. in Chanel. So she's obviously come. I didn't realize how privileged Louise Bourgeois' life was, but I guess the surname gives it away right. because that <laughs> itself is the most bourgeois. No, and all this time I'd never really thought about it, but it's literally just labeled her Louise Bourgeois. House. I, think that's yeah. what, I, think, <laughs> I think that's also what informed a lot of her work, though. Russ is that whole patriarchy. You know that the home. This kind of very expensive house she grew up in and all the expectations i mean and thinking about transformation as well like later in her life in 75 she stood outside wearing a sculpture right. you know that amazing yeah. sculpture the lumpy you yeah. know sculpture that she actually wears and she becomes, it looks like lava yeah oh, it's just amazing yeah, yeah. You know, a total about... precursor to kind of Bjork and right yeah. and you talk about her friendship with Helmut Lang in her later years and he used to gift her clothes and she'd gift him art and yeah. they had like a, a, a friendship yeah. with each other Artery. that was really deep yeah, yeah exactly and actually I mean those those years I would I'd be going to New York um, to the shows and I hadn't met Helmut by then but like just going to Helmut's shop and there'll be a Louise Bourgeois work in the shop and it's just like oh my god buy these <laughs> oh clothes. really yeah yeah there was always art her art was in the shop he always had Jenny his shop was incredible he had Jenny Holzer he had he, he, text he, works he had, he had Jenny Holzer text works going down um, oh, on ticker tapes like yeah yeah the, wow. the, the, the rails were all these kind of black monoliths that the clothes were hidden behind and then these Jenny Holzers going down the edge of them it was just the most unbelievable shot like but it was that thing of like, that incredible thing of like inquisitive minds feeding off each other like how helmets designs feeding off what Louise and Jenny were doing and 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 yeah that that um I, I've, I've got in the book the page from Louise's diary when when she first met Helmer and she was in her 80s then or 90s and and she writes the H of Helmer with like over the lines with the kind of hooks on the H mm. like like a like a teenager would about their first love and and mm. you can see that she was really charmed by him and 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 the 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 the, the, the creative relationship that kind of fed her later years these these really fertile years of working for her like I I I, I the, the book started the actual the research and the writing of the book started by spending a couple of days um, at Louise's house in New York it's a it's a private foundation no you can't go as the public they always whenever I mention it they say please say but you can't go because they they, <laughs> they 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 can't cope with anyone knocking on the door but um. They, they, they had, there's a house next door which is where all the all the archive is kept and um, where and then you go through these these doors that have been cut through to Louise's house that's been preserved exactly as it was when she died and and um, there were these two rails of clothing like completely like no um, airs and graces at all one was in the basement under some stairs propped up under some um, plastic boxes and then the other one was in this tiny tiny galley kitchen right by this like industrial strengths like chef's gas burner 
and like these in- extraordinary clothes, like within fat spitting distance, and and the way that that she clearly loved clothes because they were so much a part of her life, but also she didn't deify them as well. Like they were yeah. worn, they were there to be worn. They weren't there to be worshipped, and and the way that she wore pieces by Helmut Lang was to then give herself inspiration. It was like this kind of creative, creative spark um, thing. Didn't she have like a monkey jacket, a monkey weird fur jacket that then got shrunk? At some point? Right, right. So basically they, they, they had, so basically there's, there's a really famous um, portrait, which is in the book, which is um, by Maplethorpe, um, where she is smiling, stood there in a monkey fur um, coat, holding a sculpture of a massive cock penis not a um a bird animal yeah an actual penis and, <laughs> and 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 she stood there with this it looks like an ancient greek sort of effigy ancient like, greek yeah. phallus yeah and and she's got this massive grin on her face and there's there is a coat like it on the rail but they were like actually we think there's another um another one which a writer called Gary Andriano, an amazing, amazing, he was the Village Voice critic um, in the 70s and or the 80s. His, his writing is phenomenal. Semio Text did a compilation of his writings. Um, and you should read his criticism, it's incredible. So I emailed Gary to say, do you have the Maplethorpe coat or is it the one in Louise's house? And he was like, yeah, I've got it. Someone put it in the wash, it shrunk. Like, oh. you know, I, the, and I just love this complete disregard for... for um, Our history. <laughs> oh, yeah exactly <laughs> you know I, I, it's, it's complete like oh my god like you know, the 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 lives they lived rather than you know kind of deifying their lives yeah you know one of the things i really love in the book is this idea that art and fashion are somehow like you know there's a kind of kinship between the two mm. and when i first was hanging out in the art world i remember certain artists would sort of almost look down on the fashion industry right. or or even um gallerists or whatever um but then i feel like in the last kind of five ten years that 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 division maybe is starting to become much more like everything's becoming much closer and if you right. think i think the reason is because of designers are now being seen as these kind of artists in their own right and people are beginning right. to understand fashion in a way they know collaborations really between before. artists and designers yeah but also right. the thing i like about the book is the friendships between the artists right. and the designers right and the, the creatives like head to head so you've got like our recent guest rachel feinstein with mark jacobs right so you've got right. these kind of coming together of two minds so even they're from different disciplines right. they're still artists can yeah. you speak a bit about that and so why i you think that's I, I think friendships is the is the most interesting place where fashion and art come together uh, and and like, cause, yeah, you're right. Like for years, there's been this kind of weird sort of like we kind of know each other, but we don't know each other. Like yeah. two, like almost like two gangs that are kind of like really want to become friends, but they yeah. in the end West Side Story, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and and they have become closer recently because it has become such a thing within fashion for there to be fashion collaborations or 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 also some designers claim that their work is art though actually i'm much more on the side of ray kawakubo who's the comedy garçon designer who's like no it's not art you know the, 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 the she's a designer it's a, if she was want to be an artist then she'd be an artist and um but the, the 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 i actually think that the place it's most fertile and most interesting is when there are these these friendships between between a designer and an artist and and rachel was amazing i love talking with her and and she told about how um she was in a real creative rut. She she really was stuck, and she she loved fashion and she was good friends with lots of designers. And Mark Jacobs, the New York designer, asked if he could use one of her sculptures as the as the kind of set for her show. And she just said, "Like, oh, actually, I'd like to make you 
something new. And he was like, okay, the show's in two weeks. And so she had these two weeks of creating these unbelievable, um, huge um, sets. It was kind of like theatre sets, but purposefully left unfinished. Like, um, mm. and, 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 and all the, it's like these buildings and fountains and follies. It's like a and jaunty fountain, a bit, isn't there? But it's a bit gothic yeah. as well. And, and yeah. they all look a bit tipsy. Everything looks a bit drunken yeah. and, 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 and tumble down and, and, and huge. I mean, it was a huge, huge, like, like it was like a massive, massive, um, stage play but like a stage play in Wembley Arena like March yeah, yeah. which show in these vast 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 halls and 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 the experience of creating from nothing this this vast set Frida it completely Frida and, and it then led to um sculptural works which she's now um, become known for like there was an outdoor public commission in New York a couple of years afterwards and and one of those works is now at Chatsworth in 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 the gardens in yeah. in, in the UK and oh, yeah. and, and they all look like stage cutouts, don't they? Like the scenery yeah. for theatrical operas and yeah, exactly. Very baroque, very kind of fairy tale. Fairy tale, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but adult fairy tale and, yes. and a bit wrong and naughty yeah. and, and 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 working on the fashion show Frida and and it was amazing to hear her talk about how working with fashion Frida up. So it wasn't about this kind of like I don't understand who you are. You're over there. It was like oh no, let's just get stuck in and do something. And, um... I always remember seeing Anne Collier in New York um, and Matthew Higgs, uh, and every time I would bump into them, they were always with Raf Simmons. Right, um, yeah. When he was at Calvin Klein, and I right. actually went over and said hi to him at one of those Rob Pruitt um, like fairs. You know, he does the right. Christmas fair, yeah. or whatever. But um, and I always remember thinking that was really cool because they seem to like really love each other, and they're super fans. Me, they yes. share ideas, and you know. S- yeah, but I think it also goes back to Matthew. So Matthew Higgs is the White Columns um, yeah. director and, and a super fan of art. Um, and and I think he also um, has a deep, deep love of New Order as well. Mm-hmm. And Raph loves New Order. There's all these kind of counterculture. Yeah, boot, the bootleg counterculture, yeah. Yeah, there's, 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 there's shared common ground and common interest as well as, well as Raph's love of art. Like Raph is a... a well-known collector of art and um yeah how cool is taboo as well you have to oh my god because i mean that is just one of the coolest bits of the whole book green suit and oh my god i love taboo Taboo is like i I, if i if if we're if if we're allowed to recommend guests then please taboo is oh we have we might he's there he's coming on we're planning it and he sent his new book from karma and we're all very most divine company like it's absolute heaven and and taboo is this incredible artist who has been working since the eighties, um, and actually, he he, uh, he so he was part of the East Village um, club cult, counterculture club scene in New York, and uh, he performed at Pyramid. He did drag. He he, he did drag until I think the early mid nineties. Mm-hmm. He was he appeared at Wigstock and all these like really important New York moments. But he also did the flyers as well. And right from the beginning, he had this like line which involved like psychedelic swirls and these letters that dance and this effervescence and this absolute love very of 60s. life and creativity yeah. yeah and 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 actually he's he is part of my upbringing because he did the graphics for the delight first album world click and all the singles that came off that so groovers oh, in the heart power of love and smile on and i bought them all i was obsessed with delight i, I they used to, who was the one before pete tong on radio one i can't I, I never remember his name but like where in the days of when you used to have to like press play and record to record <laughs> off the radio like that i, I remember uh, uh, the friday before we went on a family holiday 
I was just recording a new tape to listen on the drive to holiday. And he played this new record called Groove is in the Heart and then the B-side, um, What is Love? And I just was sat in a car driving on holiday. So I'd have been 15 or 16, just like, what is this world? Like absolutely obsessed. And, and then so I then, when I got the records and these graphics completely blew my mind and I just painted spirals all over all my school notebooks and everything. And But, but basically Taboo was... Um, completely not recognised for years and years and years. And he he still lives in the same um, fourth or fifth story walk-up. Five story up, like, isn't it? No lift. Yeah, 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 yeah. Proper, like, old, old like, rent-controlled New York, real New York, real East Village. Um, but his work started selling about four or five years ago. And suddenly he's got the money to go into Gucci and be like, bag it up. like, And, <laughs> and, and he buys the most incredible clothes. I think his Instagram is taboo. It's, it's, spelt, it's spelt with two extra, an extra B. So it's T A. B B O O N Y C. He he. You can see his fabulous fashions daily on Instagram. Yeah, he's done he, lots of videos and everything. Him singing, lip syncing, and he, yeah, performing. Mo- and he loves fashion and he loves it as a creative expression. And and he says that the the the, the, the it's always been the case. He talked about when he was young and when he first got. It's what I, one of my absolute favorite quotes in the in the book. And um, he said. I, it always surprised me when I get to it. I always forget it's coming. So he talks about um, the first time he was allowed to buy clothes in the 60s. And he said, when it was time for me to pick out the clothes, that, that's exactly how he said it. Mm-hmm. When it was time for me to pick out the clothes, this was the mid-60s. We're talking psychedelia, little paisley shirts, striped pants, velour. I was like, girl, I was living for that shit. And, like, <laughs> that was, and, and and that was him as as a as a like little kid and and he said that it's always been the case that f- music fashion fed the creativity of the art and the art feeds the fashion it all feed it's all the same thing for him yeah. and it also inspires other people and other artists that's what i love about people like him right. i remember first hearing about him about seven years ago from elizabeth clay a sculptor who's with right. the gallery yeah and elizabeth's like a really good friend of his and yeah. i didn't really know him at all but then i realized i did know him because he'd influenced so much of culture and like right. so many other people have referenced him you know it's right. like it's fascinating i'm so happy exactly. he's getting his time yeah you know? exactly. there's so many amazing facts in this book i want to i want to reel up some facts for our listeners because it's incredible but uh, 1963 i didn't realize pantone started which is the benchmark for colors henceforth forever (laughs) you gave me that fact thank you in 1909 paris if a woman wanted to wear trousers they had to ask the permission of the police yes and it was only repealed in 2013 so technically it was illegal so if you were identified as female in paris in up until 2013 you it was illegal for you to be wearing trousers and it was to connected to the sans culotte movement of the revolution please don't ask me more questions is that like a le miserables thing where they were it's like, something i right. think because i think there were there were there were female protesters who wanted to join the protest and they they weren't they were banned from wearing culottes i think i'm not quite sure but it was it was it was yeah it was really interesting to me when i was it's like, preposterous the, <laughs> yeah the, the 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 book the book that there was a couple of rules guiding the book and one of which was because I'm going to because I was going to jumble up the photos all the photography needed to look kind of from a time when photos didn't have to be like take five minutes to so apart from Louise Bourgeois's childhood photos everyone everything is kind of like post second world war mm. so I was I was looking at this kind of time where you presume when you think about it like oh yeah everyone's got rights everything's 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 fine 
And then when you actually look at like, wait, when did actually women get the right to vote in um, places like France? And, and what was the art that was happening at that time? And I'm now going to have to flick through the book to find the actual date because it's, it's not um, high on my mind. But it's like way later than you think it was mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that women got the vote in... Um, yeah, it wasn't until 1944 that women were granted the right, not, to, not that right to vote. Just not that long ago. And, 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 and so, so then you think about the art that's being made in Paris and who gets to make the art and mm. how are women seen in that art. And, 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 and it then, I then thought, oh, well, did, did Frida Kahlo have the right to vote? And, and no, you know, and, and you, you then start thinking about um, the conditions in which people made their work or even weren't able to make their work. And, 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 and also then when there are alleged rights, still people aren't able to make the art they want to make, like mm. women in mm. America um, and also people of colour in America um, in the 20th century, especially like 60s, 70s. Um, and, and really that being one of the real fuels for performance art because they, these artists weren't allowed to make art in the spaces where art was deemed yeah accepted like galleries or institutions mm. and so and so these artists had to find ways of making art and making art in ways that almost like kind of went they were allowed to do it that, that they couldn't hadn't got words to describe what they were doing like the first performance artists didn't say oh yeah i'm a performance artist they they just were trying to do something and yeah. and and then for them the clothes they wore they became central to their work um and it's that thing of like you have to look at um, that history to to understand more about actually what it is that an artist is making, or, or who gets to make art, who doesn't get to make art, mm. and, and also I guess what they're wearing because you know that's also a response, yeah, to social situations of, of that time because mm. it's a way of communicating, isn't it? If you think of Frida, she's right. saying something through those images, through through the clothes that that she wore. Right. She actually exactly. died two years before the women were allowed to vote in Mexico as well, right. so she never got that chance. Another fact was Joseph Boyce, he is, like, iconic for his hats, but he had a metal plate in his head, so his head would get cold. So the hat yes. was actually a precaution against the precaution, cold. Precaution, yes, yes, so it was pre... I thought you were going to say the fact about him was that his nickname was Josie. Oh, I didn't know that, no. No, it's yeah, just yeah, the fact like, that yeah, I didn't realise he had a metal plate <laughs> in his head and that was yeah, where the yeah, hats yeah, come yeah, from, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 it had actual, it had actual practical... It had actual practical reason he he, because the the plane crash is part of his mythology because he says that he was um say was it saved by wolves i I can't actually can't remember the mythology now but there's it became part of his story that that um something about the plane crash but he definitely was um in the german army and definitely crashed his plane and and had a metal plane in his head and needed Mm. these felt hats to protect him and then from that he built this wardrobe of um the fisherman's jacket the white shirt the levi jeans um that the, he then said had got the shamanistic power and that the clothes could stand in for him um, i still love all that i love all that it yeah. was it's such a genius kind of mm. I, I don't know it's brilliant talking about jeans oh go on oh. i was gonna say talking about jeans andy warhol wore denim under his tux when he went to the yeah. white house to meet the president <laughs> because he was obsessed with denim jeans which is so like americana denim and and the epitome of andy warhol but he wore denim underneath a tux when he met the president yeah yeah, yeah. that was one of my favorite facts and actually um 
uh, there was that Warhol biography that came out last year, and the the thing that I was most panicked about before when it came out was like, did he get the did he get the jeans under tuxedo fats? And obviously, he couldn't give a damn about that. <laughs> He's got other things to think about. But like, I was like, please don't, please don't, please don't have heard that story. It's yeah, amazing. Bob, Bob Colicello, who was the um, editor of Interview Magazine, who who was kind of Warhol's kind of traveling companion for thirteen years, yeah, he just told me this story. He's like, oh yeah, and he was invited to the White House. It was the Ford White House. It was a it was a dinner for the Shah of Iran, and Andy found a tuxedo itchy, so he wore denim jeans under the under the tuxedo to to meet the man who at the time Amnesty International then said was like one of the worst violators of human rights in the world. Like it's this complete like oh my god, what is going on? Like, that's good. He sort of showed some sort of internal disrespect to him at yeah. that point. By wearing the jeans. One more fact before Rob's got a question, but I didn't realise that Yayo Kasama had a fashion label for a while that was like a consignment in like Debenhams or something where you can right. buy Kasama clothing. Yeah. What yeah. happened? Have you ever seen any of that no, clothing in real life? I've never seen any of it. it. That was it. It was in Bloomingdale's. It's such a, and that's also another thing that I found fascinating doing the book was that thing of presumed histories and what we what we presume yeah. we know. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a book mostly in the British Library and would spend the day going from book to book to book and I found this old Kusama catalogue from a sh- an American show. I can't remember where it was, but it was a show in the nineties, way before Kusama became the kind of this kind of global celebrity that that she is now, mm. and. And it had all these amazing details in it that because no one's found this book and put them in their own books, just aren't in any of the recent books about Kusama. And and yeah, it got the press release that the um, that the that she put out for the fashion label. Basically, she 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 had a fashion label, and it kind of sounds like it really didn't work. But but it, it sounds like she wanted it to be these kind of orgy clothes, which she'd been making for. As, as 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 performance art because the she bums cut out place within it? New York yeah huge holes in bums but she hated sex as well so it was also this kind of weird um, facing up to her her, her her fear and loathing of of, of sex and the body and and, um, and and I think she wanted the fashion label to be that and obviously Bloomingdale's kind of wanted just some tie dye and, and, and polka dots and it, it, it folded very quickly and 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 I and yeah I. I I couldn't find any actual images of it. One tie-dye t- there's a picture of a tie-dye t-shirt, but we couldn't find the original photo to put it in the book. It just was the black and white one in the right, other right, books. Right. I always really liked her collaboration much more recently, but with um, Louis Vuitton when she did all Right. That. I yeah. thought it was really mental. It was yeah. good because you, you start seeing them all around the world when I was traveling a lot with work and yeah. you would see like collectors all holding these bags and yeah. it just became like a kind of giant expanded i don't know painting or something it was such a weird yeah I don't yeah know, i really liked that whole era yeah that was a really good time of collaboration that's when mark jacobs was at louis vuitton and, and exactly yeah I, I was lucky i didn't see the kazama show if there i can't even remember if there was an actual show for it but but um i remember turning up to the venue and the thing with fashion shows is you never know what it's going to be in really until you turn up and they had these huge um balloons um outside them and um it was, and I'm now completely brain frozen from the artist. I will keep wanting to say Murakami, but it wasn't Murakami, the Japanese artist. Do I now cite it on Google? Uh, 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 uh. How often do you find people like freezing for names and then um, have to like search on Google? Never, ever, 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 ever. Everyone's okay. always on top of okay. everything. You're the only person in the history of the, in the history. <laughs> and we're going to let everybody know. <laughs> do you know what? His, his, his name was Murakami. What am I talking about? Um, 
Um, Takeshi Murakami. Takeshi Murakami. Yeah, right, right. he, he did the, the multicolored Vuitton logo, didn't he? Yeah, yeah exactly. He collaboration yeah. as well. Yeah, Takashi Murakami. Yeah, so basically, right. yeah. We um, can leave that bit in then, just to show how right Yeah, exactly, just so I, I was going to be right, yeah. So <laughs> how bitchy we are, yeah. <laughs> we're going to ruin you. Um, <laughs> would you possibly read uh, a poem out of your book on page 256, which um, yeah. at school, David Hockney was introduced to this poem by, uh, which is by 17th century poet Robert Herrick, and it's called Delight in Disorder, and it really struck a chord with me. Right. Um, yeah, sure. So this is Delight in Disorder. A sweet disorder in the dress kindles and clothes a wantonness, a lawn about the shoulder thrown into a fine distraction, an erring lace which here and there enthralls the crimson stomacher, a cuff neglectful and therefore rebounds to flow confusedly, a winning wave deserving notes in the tempestuous petticoat, a careless shoestring in whose tie I see wild civility, do more bewitch me than when art is too precious in every part. So you said that Hockney recognised, thank you for that, Hockney recognised himself in those words. In, in what way? How do, you, how do we know that? And how did he use that throughout see, his work? See, he, he still refers to this poem today. Um, and, and for me, it was that thing of this idea of sweet disorder and wild civility and this sense that, yeah, the, the, the title Delight in Disorder, like I think so often... Um, there's this attempt to try and dress like Hockney, which which usually means block colours put together in kind of a vivid way, like a yellow sweater with a blue pair of pants. But that's just wearing a yellow sweater with a blue pair of pants. And actually what Hockney does is he has this kind of gleeful imperfection about it all and this kind of gleeful desire for this kind of wantonness of of, of living. You know, it's that that sense of what you wear kind of gives you this kind of um, energy and this kind of sense of um, creativity, and 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 I, and I think it really links with his work and links with the way he lives his life. This sense of like sweet disorder and the the you know the, the thing about him like always smoking and never giving up smoking, mm. like that that kind of that the you know the, the wantonness and the civility, like the the that kind of sense of living life on his own terms for himself. And that incredible, incredible um, example he set in the 1960s where he arrived in London from Bradford and was unashamedly out and proud and queer um, at a time when it was illegal um, in, in the UK and, and, and had absolutely no, 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 no. It's so weird you don't want to even say it unashamedly because that's like saying it like it's a negative, like he just was queer and... And and I was thinking about it a lot, and I realised that actually, you know, he he was a working class um, lad from Bradford, and I realised that up until um, up until um, Hockney, the the look the look of queer working classes was 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 fetishised because the look of queerness was set by those who had the ability to kind of live above society with wealth, like kind of Christopher Isherwood or you know. Um, all those kind of people from the 1920s and 30s who were romanticised or mm. that kind of, um, that merchant ivory kind of look, you know, the kind of Morris, I always want to call it Maurice, but Morris, that, you know, the, the, those films in the eight or The Room with a View, mm. that kind of foppish look. And that actually working classes were fetishised 
and they are still fetishized today. Like lab- the role of laboring laborers are fetishized in. Oh yeah, the plumber, in, the in, electrician. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's the, hot. Yeah, it is yeah. hot. And 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 it's hot. And, but the thing is, is that that actually, Hockney was this 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 kind of first generation of of, of working class queer humans who was like, no, I'm going to define queerness for myself. I'm not going to pay heed to this upper class look of queerness. Mm. I'm going to dress for myself and and. And and I and, and he and he did it from day one and and I think that's what's really um, admirable about his style. It's not some. It's not just the building blocks of colour. It's the intention and the meaning of it. Mm. Before we go to the final questions, um, you were a Turner Prize, Turner Prize judge, uh, yeah. and Russell has been this year. Yeah, um, we bumped each, into each other on the street in Shoreditch recently, and I was yeah. like, "So, uh, help, <laughs> give me some advice." <laughs> I mean, is, but, this but is very, hard. very, 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 very different circumstances. Mm. I mean, I was, I was, I had the absolute good fortune to be a judge in a year when art was made, shown, <laughs> and it was possible to actually go and visit art. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't know how you managed, and uh, uh, you know, it's because. It, yeah, we 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 were we were able to even meet each other. I think you you think you posted on everything's Instagram. on none, Zoom. Everything's none of you, none of you, none of you ever met. Nope. Yeah, never. And, and and where whereas we could like form this kind of um, crew. Yeah, exactly, and go to shows together and go mm. see things. But um, yeah, it was the most incredible experience. Um, yeah, I loved it. When you started writing this book, you were you were judging, right? Yeah, it was. They, it coincided because um, you're asked like a little bit before, and then you, yeah, the, 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 the kind of process of it. So it, it was exactly the same time, and and I really found that that being a Turner Prize judge helped me so much to to learn how to look, and and it was really that thing of like breaking time and breaking the fear of time, because I think I still had at that point a fear of um, video art or performance art based around. Like fear of like, oh, how long is it going to be? Am I going to be okay? Like, will I get bored? Will I got to be somewhere else? All, all that stuff that that you go through, and 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 also the thing of like when you go into a gallery and there's a video playing of like, oh, do I watch it? Do I not watch it? How long do I watch it for? Do I go look at you know all that sort of stuff which gets in the way of actually looking to work, and and I realised that to be a judge, I had to be with the work. There, there was no two ways about it. I had to watch what they were doing, and and it really helped me to to relax into looking at art. Which then helped me to relax into looking at all art, you know, art that was on a wall as well, like mm. allegedly traditional art, and it really helped me to learn how to look, which then helped me to write the book, and and it, it really was the most um, magic experience, um, yeah. And you timely uh, finish the book with images of the the winners because right. it was an unusual year where all four all four. Uh, nominees decided a collective, to form a yeah. collective, yeah, collective so they decision. were kind of like one artist yeah and I, I always remember that evening because um it was so interesting what everyone chose to wear right. in a sense very contemporary clothes but also like if you think of Taishani's kind of Tories out um right. perspex necklace that she was wearing you know it's a very contemporary sense of this idea of an artist trying to communicate a message in a very right. direct way right. that was meaningful because there was the the election coming up and right. all of that stuff. And, and Helen Cammett read the speech on behalf of all four of them wearing a bomb a jacket and, and yeah. a single huge hoop earring and and a black polo neck and 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 in complete contrast to what you would expect someone to wear at a formal dinner mm. you know the the, mm, the, mm, the, mm. The, the the tailored suit or a, a, a dress or something you know it mm. was um it, it was wild and and yeah my, my deadline was actually the week was it that week or the week before so I kind of asked for an extension for two weeks because I kind of had an inkling that it would be a great place to end the book and and 
I hadn't got another plan if it if it, it wasn't so <laughs> so thank, thankfully it, it turned out to 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 be this amazing place to end because I, I really was so um moved and inspired and 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 excited by um what what those four artists did um like Taishani, Lawrence Abrahamden, Oscar Murillo and Helen Kamak and and the seriousness of their decision and 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 the seriousness of their work in that show like that the it, it was it was it was it was deeply exciting to me and kind of generative and makes me excited to to go on and think more and and um yeah i think it, it was a really um incredible way for 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 that whole kind of experience of doing the turner prize amazing well, I, way to I, end. I think in many ways what they did was provoking thought and uh, sort of taking action in a way and getting people to think about their own position in the world and what what you believe in and what what you would do to fight for what you believe in right. so just in that very simple act of them doing that i think it's a very i don't know i think it provokes thought and i think your book does that too like mm, i brilliant. really am inspired by this book and i think mm. people are gonna love when it. is it out charlie uh so it's out 27th of may okay great so, so soon yeah so very soon. soon. There's so many artists in here that have been on tour cards as well, which is amazing. You've got Anthea Hamilton, Alvaro Barrington. Louise Bourgeois, yeah. Georgia O'Keeffe, Frida Kahlo. <laughs> they're, all, they're all in there. Um, <laughs> you're like, what? Um, so we ask every guest that comes on two very important questions. Uh, the yes. first one is, if you could do an art heist, if you could have any work of art in the world to yourself, what would it be and why? But I just want to add that you you grew up with art with your parents, but your husband is also an artist, Richard Porter, who's in a group show yeah. at the Modern Institute at the moment. Right, yeah. So do I have to say one of Rich's works or do I get Well, it depends them, if, if Richard's going to listen to talk art or not, but... <laughs> Yeah, and also, yeah, do I then, like, not have my parents work because I have one of Rich's works? Um, no, I think that means I get to live with them anyway, right? That yeah, you get, you get all of them, yeah. They're always here. Like, so the work I would steal, I would steal one of the wagon stations by Andrea, Andrea Zittel, and they're these incredible um, uh, pods that you can sleep and live in, because I kind of think if I'm going to steal something, wow. I need cool. to actually like, be able to live in it as well. And she has them... Um, in her encampment, encampment is that the right word? That sounds really Ranch. scary. It's kind of yeah. this kind of this 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 space she has um, near Joshua Tree um, in um, in California, and I'm uh, she 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 she's just like an absolute um, I absolutely adore her work, and yeah. So a wagon station by Andrea Sattel, please. Quite hard to steal though. It's quite a um, are they not on, not on wheels? Big structure. Not yeah. on wheels. It, but, have you have you actually been there? No, I never have. Um, and I really hope I get to go um, one day. I I do actually eat all the time. I eat my breakfast and lunch from her bowls. She only ever eats out of bowls. Like her work is about processes of living, and and she shows with Sadie Coles in London, and and um, Sadie had a little shop yeah, a couple of years ago that sold sold the bowls. So I eat eat out of her bowls all the time but that wagon relates to her apartment living doesn't it wasn't she like when she right. first moved to where was she in new york and then it was just so small and compact that she had literally right. had everything next to her bed yeah she worked in a gallery in new york and she lived in a 54 square foot apartment so she turned that into a to z east that was called the her place she lives now is a to z west which is vast kind of space but a to z east was this tiny tiny apartment and it started her her artist practice which was looking at um whether you can put rules on the way you live and actually find liberation through that to, to break through patriarchal systems love the other question we ask every guest is what is your favorite color blue straight in prada, do, do, prada do, blue do, do, do we, or marnie um, blue or gray green corn, gray green corn, blue cornflower blue yes 
And it's cornflower, it's cornflower season imminently, but and I bought some cornflowers from Columbia Road um, from Linden, who I always buy my plants from. And Every time I see you, like on a Sunday, you've always got plants from Columbia Road. Plants do, from you, Columbia do, Road. do you buy fresh plants every Sunday, like Elton John? But, so, plants, plants from Columbia Road. And, uh, so, and it just came into flower, this gorgeous cornflower, and it's a white cornflower, it's not a blue cornflower, so I need to mm. take my cornflower back. And actually, that early work wear jacket by Craig Green was almost cornflower blue, wasn't right. it? Right. Like that, that's the blue I was trying to describe yeah. earlier. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I love Tell me blue. about your house quickly, because don't you live in concrete or something? I, always I, I, I live in concrete. A story about you renovating a house. No, I, it wasn't me. I, I, I live in a um, 60s block, um, and, it's, and I bought it off architects who bought their flat in the 90s when you could buy a, a flat for a, a, a pittance and, and mm. they just stripped back the walls so they stripped back the walls to the concrete that everyone's got just I've got the oh. concrete and not the walls so yeah we live in this kind of concrete stripped back no wall um, the staircase is a drawbridge but we've never actually pulled it up but yeah and there's a massive hole in the between the two floors that's got a big glass table on it that wheels out it's this funny kind of um yeah i remember it sounding really like experimental and i was really impressed and i wasn't sure whether you'd you'd like overseen it all have you had it photographed um, ever have you done a modern house or anything no 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 it's um it's 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 um but the thing about it is that it's like it's actually a really, really functional way of living, like in that kind of Andreas Hotel way. Like it really works, like the flow of how you move about in the house, um, which I find fascinating because like my, my nightmare is to be in a kind of Victorian terrace house, which is built for a stifling two, you know, family of four, horrible, ugh, you know. I, I, I like the idea of functionality within living, which is, again, the Andreas Hotel thingy bob i love that i've just got to thank you as well i've realized through my journey of of uh being a super fan of david rebilliard that you are also i think a kindred spirit in being a yeah. super fan of david rebilliard and there's an amazing section in there you go through about five pages and some of the photographs i'd never seen of mm-hmm. of images of him and his work and his style and i well, i want to thank you for that because i, oh, I nice. and at some point i'm trying to do more for him and right. create yeah. something and especially maybe get his poetry read properly and a proper like um collection of every all of his prose and everything i think would be something that i would when i saw that section russ i was like oh my yeah, god yeah I, I was just like i just i just sit with so it cool. just like i just feel like it, we would have been all mates or exactly we'd all yeah just, i absolutely love him yeah I so much um, and also, um, we're not going to, we miss this, but I want people, if they do buy this book, which they need to buy this book, What Artists Wear by Charlie Porter, there's, there's this whole section on an artist called Lynn Hirschman, who I didn't know much about, who lived for five years as someone completely different called Roberta Brightmore. And she had one outfit, one wig, one one cardigan, one dress, and she also had one jacket. But her jacket got stolen at some point, and she at used some to creepy go creepy meeting, yeah. And she used yeah. to go and sit with a psychoanalyst as the character that she was playing for five years, and he didn't know that she was yeah. pretending to be someone else. Now we haven't got time to talk about it, but everyone who reads <laughs> this book, you need to read this story because it blew my mind. Yeah, it sounds like it needs its own episode. It needs yeah. a movie. Yeah. That's you a, need, a movie I mean, there. And, and and Lynn is still Lynn is still a practicing artist. And actually, anyone who's in New York, able to be in New York, there's a show of hers opening at the New Museum, a survey show at New Museum in June, wow. I think it is. Okay. So, so there, yeah. Um, if anyone lucky enough to be in New York, um, please go and see the Lynn Hirschman Leeson show. 
Wow. And also, who took your author photo? Is it your husband? My husband took it on my birthday at Towpath Cafe um, on oh. on um, on the canal in. Hamburg. I thought it was him. It's such a sweet photo of yeah, him yeah, on the back of the book. Yeah, yeah. And also, every, so everyone go out and buy this book. It's published by Penguin, and it's out at the end of May. And honestly, it's extraordinary. It's amazing. And it's the kind of thing people are going to want to gift to other people because it's that good. I've got. You know what yeah. I, mean? like, I want to so, buy this. It's so 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 good. And I, and also find an image of Francis Bacon's curtains. I'll leave you with that. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. Um, exactly. But yes, thank you so thank much you for so coming on, Charlie. Much, Charlie thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for thank everybody you. listening, go to our at Talk Up page on Instagram. You can find images of everything we've been talking about. Charlie is also on Instagram. You are at the Charlie Porter, which sounds like a really like grand thingy, but yeah. Great. And then at the Charlie Porter. Get What Artists Wear by Charlie Porter, which is available now by the time this goes out. And we love you. Thanks for sticking with us, everyone. For and everyone. see you all we'll soon. Very soon. Bye, Charlie. Bye. Bye, Bye Charlie. Stick around. Bye-bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode. With music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.